Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. On a mission to bring the benefits of sport to kids everywhere, they go beyond technology to provide leaders with professional development and relationship building, and to work with sports-based organizations to address issues of accessibility and equality. To learn more, find them at League Apps com or as league apps on all of the social networks now here's the host of the show longtime soccer broadcaster and voice of united soccer coaches dean linky i am dean linky this is the united soccer coaches podcast it is presented by league apps and we have a great show a diverse show we kick it off with Hugh Roberts, a great human being. He is in USL Championship. He is the co-founder and president of United Black Players, known as UBP. He kicks off the show. June is Pride Month. We are joined by Robin Hart, part of the United Soccer Coaches LGBTQ Plus and Allies community. She's the head women's soccer coach at Cal State East Bay. Robin Hart is on the show. Sarah Mason with United Soccer Coaches, brings us Stuart Holt, the founder of Cars for Nonprofits. You can learn more by going to cars, the number 4NP.com. Stuart Holt is on the show as another fundraising opportunity for United Soccer Coaches and the United Soccer Coaches Foundation. Jessica McDonald, she's been on the show before. I think you know her story. Came from a tough situation in Arizona. Anson Dorrance founder. She won national championships there. She won several titles in the NWSL. She even played in the WPS. She is getting ready to have her second child, 11 years removed from her first child, Jeremiah. She is still with Louisville. She is going to work the World Cup as a broadcaster. What a great interview she is covering all topics. And we end meeting another great 30 Under 30 member, Tyler Gabera. That's our show. And it starts after this message. From our presenting sponsor, League Apps. We bet you didn't get into this business for the back office duties. That's why we created League Apps, the industry's leading youth sports management platform. So you can spend less time with busy work and more time doing what you love. League Apps provides organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. Once again, here's the host of the show, Dean Linky. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. And as I said in the open, really excited about the powerful relationship this podcast and the association has developed over the past several years with the USL. I love the league at all levels, always have, and our continued focus on the black soccer coaches community each and every week. To celebrate the progress this community has made has been a joy, and it continues to move me each and every week, and I hope it does the same for you. Today, we open the show by putting the spotlight on the USL's United Black Players, known as UBP. Lisa Payton, who does great PR work for the USL, was kind enough to connect me via email to USL's VP of DEI, Chris Busey, who has been working very closely with United Black Players, again, UBP, and he was sharing with me some of the incredible initiatives the UBP are doing to bring awareness and create opportunities in the game. 
The UBP has an exciting new scholarship program designed to address the historical lack of diversity within the coaching ranks in the United States. One of the UBP's key strategic initiatives is their coaching subsidies program designed to support and develop more black coaches at every level of the soccer pyramid. Helping players get the resources they need to further their coaching education is an integral part of their mission. Formerly known as the Black Players Alliance, over the past three years, the group has established itself as an important piece of the USL community, and for that matter, an important piece of our entire soccer community. Led by President Hugh Roberts, who we will meet in just a second, and several other powerful leaders, United Soccer Coaches is proud to give UBP a voice to open the show. With a mission to address inequity issues within the sport of soccer, the UBP has set forth new goals aimed to impact the youth, collegiate, and professional ranks. Developing a pathway of access and success for underserved youth is of utmost importance to the members of this group. The player pathway will provide opportunities and resources at every level of the game and help to create a sustainable future for minorities in the sport. The UBP has previously played a vital role in the establishment of the USL's United Against Racism campaign in 2021, launched its own youth soccer clinic initiative in 2022, and it now has plans to expand numerous key programs this year. With the support of the USL front office and various individual teams throughout the league, the UBP will continue to make an impact at even more communities across the country. And as I mentioned, it is an honor to be joined by the president of the UBP, Hugh Roberts, who is beloved by everybody who knows him, everybody who plays with him, everybody who plays against him, no matter their color, no matter what team they are on. Hugh Roberts, an honor to have you on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Of course, my man, I really appreciate you and all the work you guys have been doing on your end as well. Thanks for having me. Hugh Roberts still playing in USL Championship with Monterey. And of course, Hugh, we've got a lot to cover. And of course, we're also just three days removed from Juneteenth as well. Yeah, well, Juneteenth here in Monterey, we thankfully the club's been, you know, advantageous enough to coincide with us minority players. We did a couple merchandise where all the proceeds are going to be donated to a local community. I would say this year has been some good receptive of seeing other clubs, you know, doing some things within their communities as well, too. But I will say as well, it could each and every year is going to get better, but it could be better. It's going to get better. It's going to continuously grow. I do think it needs to be a little bit more on the forefront, but overall it was a good Juneteenth day and it's continuously, you know, making people aware and educating them as well, too. And Hugh, going back to my comment about Chris Busey, a new addition as the VP of DE&I, Tell me what that means to you and the entire USL franchise. Powerful is something that we've been fighting for, honestly, since the tenure of the league, honestly, since we formed three years ago. We've been wanting someone in this position as well, because sadly enough, each and every year since I can go back to 2017, there's been a racial incidence within the USL on the field. And we've been trying to get ahead of that curve and trying to put some implementations ahead of it. So when these things happen, we're already ahead of it as well, too. So, yeah, it's been good. It's in the work in progress still, but. Very, very good on the headquarters already hired minorities as well, too. And he's someone that's very advantageous, overzealous, ready to get to work. We've been in constant communication with him probably every other week kind of thing. And he's already getting the ball rolling. So it's, it's been needed. Thrilled to open this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast, a jam-packed show with Hugh Roberts, who is the president and co-founder of the United 
black players made up of USL championship and league one with a mission to address inequity issues within the sport of soccer. The UBP has set forth new goals aimed to impact the youth collegiate and professional ranks. developing a pathway of access and success for underserved youth is of utmost importance to the members of the group. The player pathway will provide opportunities and resources at every level of the game and help to create a sustainable future for minorities in the sport. Can you add on to that, Hugh, please? Yeah, so our mission is obviously for the player pathways, but it's to help HBCUs grow through their coaching subsidies, through giving players scholarships. It's about affecting every single USL, affecting their minority community as well as overall, helping minorities within this game grow, giving more opportunities for us because we do know the cost, the pay to play system has been affecting us for honestly the tenure of the whole American soccer because we can't afford this game. So that's where we came in, kind of make things affordable for us, trying to create more camps at HBCUs, more opportunities for our black players when they finish their careers to get coaching scholarships to become a head coach one day. We don't have any USL head coach that's black, honestly, maybe one assistant, but the numbers keep dwindling. And even in the MLS, it's maybe one as well, too. So how can we get more of us in higher positions? And that's where we come through and that's what we're fighting for. Hugh, I feel confident that you found the right platform and I'm glad you're going first because United Soccer Coaches with their Black Soccer Coaches community, initially led by Nicole Hercules, now led by Andrew Richardson and four other key players. I feel like they've really stepped up. I was at their Legends event at the convention. It was the best event of all of the events at United Soccer Coaches. They care about making a difference in getting more people of color in key coaching positions. And that does need to include the USL. Have you been able to track at all what United Soccer Coaches is doing to push forward more black soccer coaches? Yes, of course. I've been in contact with Nicole for a couple of years now. And we're actually, Brandon was on the Juneteenth podcast edition for them yesterday. It was like a summit educating players and people who are attending as well too. And I love everything they've been, they've been doing. It kind of formed around the same time we've been. And their mission is the same mission as we are trying to get more of us in higher positions. And it's Honestly, even better that they have former players, former players on the U.S. national teams, women's national teams, and higher positions to even open even more doors. So we can only do so much from the USO standpoint, right? That's where these guys come in too. So yeah, even align with them, we have a bridge and a connection with them. So even being aligned with them is a, creating a lot of synergy for us to continue our mission. Let's dig deeper into that, Hugh. You already kind of mentioned it, but coaching subsidies are a key part. United Soccer Coaches supports that as well. I got to believe there's some collaboration you can do together. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's exactly what we're trying to do. And we are actually doing that. We get, we gave away one scholarship last year to Simon Dawkins, gave another one to, I believe, Tyler David. And we're trying to give some more opportunities to former players who are, are part of the Black Soccer Coaches organization to create more scholarship opportunities because Honestly, there's not like I said, there's not too many coaches of, for us in higher positions, but it's expensive for us to even go into these coaching opportunities as well, too. So more reason why we've been aligning with them to continuously work on the same mission and get us in higher positions, because not only when we get in higher positions, then it, it opens a door for us players to get more positions and more opportunities as well, too. So all on the same aligned front. You are hearing the voice of one of the all-time great people in the game, Hugh Roberts, who's the co-founder and president 
of the United Black Players that was created through USL Championship and League One. You already touched on the fact that you want to partner more with HBCU. I just caught a bunch of games at the TST. There was a team out of Greensboro pretty much made up of all HBCU players. I like the fact that even in gymnastics has come forward with D1 for HBCU. And I feel like there's progress with HBCU as well. So working with them is also really important, right, Hugh? Oh, yeah, definitely. And honestly, you know, the notion is to kind of steer away from HBUs as an athlete. And that's the sad part. We, I mean, I'm not going to lie, even my, when I was coming up in high school, being an athlete, you kind of look away from HBCUs, not because you don't want to go to HBCU. Honestly, I wanted to go to Howard, but if you're an athlete, you know they don't get the recognition, they don't get the notoriety, they don't get the exposure as well, too, and we all have dreams of becoming a professional. So how do we change that? How do we change that narrative as well? I think there needs to be more funds and resources for HBCUs. There needs to be more eyes and attention on there, and get away with that notion of if you go to HBCU, you're not going to make it out as a pro, and obviously that's going to take some time. That's going to create a wave of players in the generation to go to HBCUs and show showcase themselves that they can perform at a high level even going to an HBCU but that's what we're coming through and creating a foundation so when they're even like in middle school high school coming forward they're able to put the, their foot down and you know honestly see themselves in the line to become a pro I want everybody listening to go to unitedblackplayers.org that's unitedblackplayers.org to learn more and also learn more about the story of Hugh Roberts, who, by the way, is still playing in USL Championship. I want to read a little bit more, just reminding everybody that they had the name change back in February. Originally was called the Black Players Alliance, and it was originally formed in 2020. More than 100 professional players in the USL Championship and League One joined the group with a common mission to impact positive change on the soccer landscape in the United States. The organization was developed to unite players across the country and utilize the group's platform to push diversity to the forefront of the league. Not only was the group established to enact change, it has cultivated a space for minority voices to be heard and empowered. Many members have played pivotal roles in the success of the group, and the organization looks forward to continuing to amplify their achievements. As we've already said, outside of that, now you have a VP of DEI. And I know we already touched on it already, but I also know that you spent some time with Chris even before coming on this. What kind of key things are you feeling that Chris is going to bring in this role of VP of DEI, Hugh? Well, honestly, one of the biggest things is his passion and his you know commitment towards this. And I say that's the biggest thing because you can have all these ideas that you want to do, you can fight this and that, but if you're going to get a lot of backlash and your fire goes down, then you kind of, that's what's been going on over the year. We've had three other people in his position. I'm not going to name their names, but each and every year they kind of jump ship. So the fact that he's already committed, he's very passionate, he's very committed. So right now he's already, you know, pushing back on the USL against United Against Racism campaign. We helped form that two years ago in 2021. And every single USL team wears it on the jerseys, but we're not doing anything for the campaign. It's almost like a marketing campaign. So he's come through. We've voiced our frustrations to him. He's been on his end working day in and day out trying to get this lead to change that actually hold clubs accountable. That's like one of his main priorities right now. And on top of that, he really wants to help us as a UBP with our initiatives as well, getting things fluid and just having the USL because they had a turnover with the new president now as well too. And Jake Edwards is no longer there. And we had a relationship with him the past three or four years. So now with the new president, how do we kind of get him aligned with us as well? And Chris has done a phenomenal job hearing us as well, our frustrations, but 
hearing what we want to do in terms of change and already being on that forefront with another league pushing for change and creating even more opportunities for black and brown coaches to get into the headquarters and higher positions too. Before we came on the air, I told you about my former broadcast partner, Austin Deleuze. He left the broadcast booth because he had a couple kids and you actually were in town to take on North Carolina FC in one of the early games after some of the tragedies we saw that really kind of pushed forward this United Against Racism movement. And we put the camera right on you and Austin Deleuze, and I don't mean to embarrass you, I mean it in the most non-sycophantic way, said, you will not meet a more inspirational person than Hugh Roberts. And that was right in the middle of George Floyd. And we put the camera right on you. And I guess what you're saying is, okay, that's fine, but hey, don't go away, right? And maybe we've gone away a little bit. We got to stick with it, right? Exactly what I'm talking about. Because sadly, you know, first off, I really appreciate Austin. really appreciate you guys for even just highlighting that. But Austin's my guy. We've been battling for years now. And, you know, I commend everything he's been doing on off the field. So I really do appreciate that. But yeah, I mean, since then, you know, it was heightened. It was on the map. Maybe COVID played a role. Everyone's on at their home and had a lot of eyes on their phone and were able to see that. But it's almost retracted a little bit each and every year, been diminishing a little bit more and more, or you know, almost like back to normal, quote unquote. When it's like I said, probably 10 or so minutes ago, there's been a racial incident every single year in the USL since 2017. And I even here in Monterey, the league knows we're all a part of a racial incident between Monterey and Tampa Bay rowdies in September last year, and the league was aware of it. And it's been a whole thing. I, I went to the headquarters myself, talked to the president. We created, we're creating some new initiatives as well. But sadly enough, this thing keeps going on. And that's why I've been trying to be on the forefront and trying to keep the conversation going because we need to just change our minds to educate ourselves, understand that these things need to stop within our game. And it's not going to stop unless we keep making people uncomfortable. And uncomfortable is a good thing too. Of course, we don't like to be uncomfortable, but you need to be uncomfortable to create change. And that's what we're coming through too. So things are going to take time, but that's exactly what we're fighting for. Well, you talk about the fight. I'm going to repeat it again. I feel like the work that the United Soccer Coaches is doing, and you're on the United Soccer Coaches podcast, is part of that fight. I feel like they're doing it the right way. They're taking steps forward. And now I'm starting to feel like you, they don't have a room big enough for how big mm -hmm. they're going. And, and I would have not said that four or five years ago. So in short order, they've created a bigger room with a bigger voice. And now I feel like they also want to include united black players so that's got to be exciting it is exciting and that's exactly why it's more reason why we need more than just us honestly like we are the minority in this and we are coming together but we're going to need the majority to help us as well too in this and we are the minority so and honestly a lot of these instances as well too is really just having a conversation with someone who doesn't look like you and it really sometimes when you do and go out to get lunch or dinner or something with your friend who looks a little bit different it enlightens you, opens your mind, and you learn things that you didn't know before. So that's what needs to happen. But, you know, they're doing a great thing. We need a little bit more help from the majority as well, too, because this is a united front. It's not just a black versus white thing at all. This is just a humanity issue that we all need to come together on. Amen. You can learn more at, by going to unitedblackplayers.org. You can count me in as an ally, Austin Deleuze as an ally, United Soccer Coaches as an ally, as we're always open to anything about USL, not just what you're doing at United Black Players, but everything at USL. How are you feeling about, you know, you've had a great career, you're continuing to play in the USL. What can you say about playing in the USL? Because I think it's a phenomenal setup at every level. 
Oh yeah, now it's it's really growing. Now. I've been here since 2014. It's my tenth year now, and I'm coming from times where you have pay to play. Guys weren't even getting paid unless you touched in the field. No CBA around traveling schedules, Tuesday, Wednesday games. So this has been beyond needed. Talking about the CBA, talking about young players going overseas to Benfica, getting sold over to Europe now. There was a wave in 2016, 17, where the young kids like Red Bulls, they won the USL that year. But that was really the initiative and the catapulting for the young boys to kind of come through. And now we're seeing the young teams like Seattle, LA2, all these young teams kind of drop out. And now the league's becoming more of a past NASL, where it's like a grown man's league. Guys are getting paid well. A lot of guys are getting paid very good money in the USL. I'm not going to put people's business out there, but over half the league is making very good money now. And you're able to... You know, if you're a decent player that's tenure, you're able to secure yourself for a couple more years now where it was before a year and an option, where now you're coming for two years or three-year contracts, a little bit more security. So it's growing, and then it's growing substantially where guys are able to afford and pay for their families a little bit more now too, and that's what it's needed. So I'm hoping it continuously grows, maybe promotion relegation soon, but it's on the right trajectory. We're kicking off the show with Hugh Roberts, who's the co-founder and president of what is now called the United Black Players. You can learn more at unitedblackplayers.org. We're coming off Juneteenth. He covered that. We're talking about the coaching subsidies with United Soccer Coaches also wanting to help with that. We want to develop more Black coaches at every level of the soccer pyramid. And lastly, the UVP's community involvement and initiatives, such as partnering with HBCUs. I thought you did a great job covering that, Hugh. Hugh, listen, I know it's bigger than you, but I still want to hear your story. Tell me where you grew up, where you went to college, your steps in the USL, and how you found this mission to be a leader for such an important cause. So I grew up in outside the D.C. area from Maryland, went to Good Council High School, private high school out there in the WCAC with like the Matha, Gonzaga, a couple other top schools in there. Then from there, I was actually a striker and attacker my whole life. Got recruited to go to George Mason University right down the road outside of D.C. Went there for four years. We were able to win the A-10 championship my senior year. Got converted to a center back in college as well, too. I was a striker my whole life. And then after that, I didn't get drafted or anything. I really didn't know too much about the USL. Actually, the USL just came around 2012, and I finished in 2014. So 2014 spring, I'm here. I'm at George Mason driving to Rochester, New York, got cut, drove to Harrisburg City Islanders, got cut, went to the Richmond Kickers, my last kind of trial thing while I'm in school. was there, tried out for a weekend. They liked me. They offered me to come to preseason for two weeks, didn't offer me a contract. After the two weeks of preseason, I was like, listen, I'm commuting from college. You guys got to kind of let me know. They let me know and they offered a contract. And then from there, um, it, was, it was still tough, though, I'm not going to lie. I really did not know the game of soccer until I turned to pro in terms of one-touch, two-touch, moving off the ball, through balls. Like, college and the rest of my system was really just fight, 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 athleticism, long balls, you know, just be direct. And it wasn't really until I turned to pro that I had to learn these things. So my three years in Richmond was like a grooming thing for me. I'm a, my first time really getting serious about center back. I just turned – I just became a center back two years before turning a pro, so I really didn't even know center back kicking a long ball, all that. So that's what the three years were for me in Richmond. Fortunate enough, my last year there in 2016 to play every minute, be first team. And then I kind of took the leap of faith and went to Philly, hoping to get an opportunity with the MLS side. But as you get to certain places, you understand the business side and they wanted to more so promote the academy, which is no problem at the time. I was with Mark McKenzie, Austin Trussie, Brendan Aronson on the U.S. Men's National Team. So all guys that 
they wanted to see in the forefront, which is great and no problem for me in my end. I kind of left there, went to Pittsburgh for a year, had a great year in 2018. They played for the first time, then went to Charlotte Independence for three years, where it was just a great time where a coach finally just let me do my thing and be myself. And it kind of just helped me flat my wings more. So now I took the leap of faith as well, coming to the inaugural club last year in Monterey Bay. And even how that kind of transition, Independence dropped down to League One. So I really wasn't trying to go to League One at the time. Really had one or two options and Frank kind of called me. I really didn't know about Monterey. I didn't know about California. I didn't know anything about that. Maybe a couple of players that he signed, but you know, I'm all about taking a, I'm a faithful guy. So I'm all about taking a leap of leap of faith and, you know, trying new adventures. I always kind of wanted to come to the West Coast too. Before that, I was in the East Coast for eight years. So I came out here. It was a, a interesting year last year. We were on the road for seven games. Our first seven games, we won one game out of seven and we were just getting bombarded and, it, it took a lot to turn a season around and being the captain of the team was tough for me, putting a lot of pressure on myself, but we turned it around to where we were almost at playoffs and missed it by one game or two. And as I mentioned before, there's a racial instance that kind of just destroyed our season towards the end. I won't lie mentally. It took it happened the third to last game of the season and took a lot out of everybody, including myself, where I decided to stick beside my, my partner and my teammate and forego the last two games of the season. So I didn't play myself to stay with my teammate. And then decided to put my pride aside. 16 of us all came back this year to Monterey, and we've been having a much better year as well, too. So, yeah, my man, it's been a, been a roller coaster of a ride. And just in terms of this mission, you know, honestly, people ask me kind of all the time that it just come out of nowhere when really the common denominator where it started was really fighting hard for my family and not necessarily my immediate family. My parents it was more so my aunts and my uncles. My mom's from New York, from Queens. My dad's from Jamaica. So I saw the disparities, honestly, Every single year, just going to see my family like, coming up, you know, the ghettos of New York or kind of the slums of Jamaica. And my parents were fortunate to be the ones that left the opportunity for us. So just going back home, I saw it all the time. And I was like, man, I really want to help my family too. And as I got older, really, as I saw there's no black players playing the game of soccer, I was like, well, I want more of us to play this game too. And it kind of just aligned to now where it's like my family, my people, and I'm just helping all of us now and trying to getting more involved with this game too. So honestly, it was in my heart since I was a little boy and it kind of just progressed and snowballed over time, but still the same mission since I was young. And now here we are, kind of life just aligned with my mission since I was young. Aligned, but also allows you to use your voice because it's one thing to feel it. It's another thing to stand up and talk about it and make something happen. How hard was that for you? How did you know it needed to be you that needed to do that? That's a, that's a good point that you mentioned. Um, I would say, let's say, so what happened was I started my, I have my own brand and my own business called Backyard Footy. I uh, found it in 2018, started as a podcast. So honestly, during the COVID times, I was like, instead of recording my simple one-on-one -on -one podcast that like we're doing now, I was like, I can have, this is my podcast, I can do what I want. Let me have uh, educational sermons now. So I had 10 to 15 USL and MLS black players. This is during COVID year. We all came together, had, two Black Lives Matter episodes. First one was monumental. We're all in a group chat. Let's have another one. This is in July. This is right before George Floyd. And we're having another one. And on that second Black Lives Matter episode, FC Cincinnati heard the episode. And we had a, had a player named, named Fatai on the episode. And he was talking about how the club put out a statement. We support our players. But then in the comments and the right after the game, that same player, Fatai, was getting racial abuse in his DM. People calling him a monkey, this and that. So he said it on my podcast, FC Cincinnati caught win, and they donated $250,000 to the local community just straight off my podcast. It was crazy. So I'm like, man, like, 
we're all just like, yo, we got to keep this going. And then George Floyd happened, NBA suspended three games, NFL suspended. We were, we as the, and then MLS did their thing. We as the UVP was like, it was just me and Brandon really. We were like, we got to capitalize on this same one. We got to be aligned with everybody. So this is on a Wednesday. NBA um, stopped everything. I'll never forget it. It was on a Wednesday and we had games on a Friday for USL. We had to get everything aligned for Friday and Saturday. Thankfully, we had this guy named Ryan Madden who was in the same position as Chris right now in the headquarters. From Wednesday for 48 hours, created our mission, created the UVP or BPA back then, created our logo, created everything, created what we wanted on the telecom, on national ESPN TV to talk about United Against Racism. We all came together at Hatfield, didn't need all that was done within 48 hours. And it was just me and Brandon being like, we got to be aligned with the NBA, NFL, MLS. We got to do the same thing. Even with just us two, it was so tiring, not going to lie, but it was worth it because we knew we had to be aligned and cattle and uh, seize the moment as well, too. So, you know, that's really how it formed within like a, a week or two span, just based off a podcast a little bit, too. And, you know, we just kept this ball rolling to this day. I feel your passion. I've told people to go to unitedblackplayers.org. When they go there, is there anything they can do? Can they donate? What what can people do to help spread the message of United Black Players? Yes, of course. Donating helps us 100%. We are, every single fund goes to the scholarship. It goes to our camps. It goes to our subsidies. You're affecting the community 100%. And honestly, the biggest thing that you can do is kind of impact your own communities, kind of getting out there. You know, we all we all have disparities within our own communities. We're trying to reach to every single community, but it's really just starting local before you branch out to even other communities because you already have a voice within your own community. Stopping at a local, you know, Caribbean restaurant to grab dinner that time. And then when you go, you start talking to the owner a little bit and getting to know him. And then he all of a sudden has a son that wants to, you know, play the game and then you can direct him to us kind of thing. It's really, the soccer world is just so small where it's really like that, where there's a lot of us who are itching for an opportunity. We just don't know where to go. and. MLS Next kind of divided things a little bit more too, but, you know, just getting out of your comfort zone a little bit, talking to some people and getting to know them a little bit creates a lot of change. And of course, you know, reaching out to us, donating those things affect media change, but immediately just to help the communities, you know, getting out there. What an honor to kick off this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast with Hugh Roberts, the president of the United Black Players and also one of the co-founders. Just two more questions for you. We just saw USA just whack Mexico and then beat Canada. And when you look at the team, there are more people of color starting on the team than there are white players on the team. That's a big statement, but now we've got to take that deeper, right? And that's part of your message, correct? Exactly what my message is, because it was so great to see that, and I'm glad you highlighted it as well, too. But I will also shed light, and it's just me coming from the USL, that they've also been fortunate to be in the MLS or go overseas when they were young and, you know, have their fathers or someone that helped them as well, too. And that, I'm not even knocking them at all. Please don't take that as, as well. But what I'm addressing is players like myself who didn't come. I, I was fortunate to play for, my, for an academy, but my academy team was a recreational team that you know was fortunate to get some money to go into academy but the average black and brown player is not playing for an academy we're just playing for a club we're just playing in our communities and we have no notoriety we're not able to get to these top clubs and since we don't play for a top club we don't even get looked at so it's exactly what i'm saying is how do we go on a lesser lesser scales going into communities having to hold some camps at a park in a, a black community because most of the camps are I get it. You want to make some money held in the richer areas. And I understand that. But there's very good, as you just said yourself, we can compete on the highest level. We are athletic. 
we just need some proper grooming and some education and just showing and just going to the communities being like, hey, we didn't even know there's other sports besides basketball and football. Most of the time we just play basketball and football so much because it's within our communities and we can see it. But if you bring a soccer ball and some goals, I promise, and I that's why I go out to the communities myself because every time I show my face, they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know a black guy was this, this good and it's so cool playing soccer. And I'm like, yeah, fellas, like there's more of us out there, but it just takes going into communities and doing those things. So that's exactly what I'm talking about on a lesser scale, even just breaking it down, going out there, going to these parks, going to our communities and hosting some of these events so we can get out there some more. Hugh, I also feel like you'll be proud to know that on this show is Jessica McDonald, who had a really rough life growing up as a kid, made it on her own, played multiple sports. Next thing you know, landed at North Carolina. Next thing you know, she made a World Cup team after having a child. She's getting ready to have another child as well. So I feel like I wanted to mention that because she's on the show because I feel like when you're talking about United Black players, you're not just talking about men. You're talking about United Black, black players, men and women, right? Yeah, exactly. 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 And there might be a little more of us in the women's game as well, too, but that's exactly to that as well. And it is nice to see more Black women come into this game and it's growing for their realm. But we can do the same thing for our communities, going to our community a little more for our Black and Brown girls to you know get involved into the game a little more. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Hugh Roberts, the president and founder of the United Black Players through USL Championship and League One. As most people know, I've been the only voice for North Carolina FC, a huge fan of the USL, a huge fan of Hugh Roberts. Hugh, we'll end with this. I call it my, in case you missed it, last word time. If people heard nothing but what you're going to say right now about what you want people to know about United Black Players, again, you can find them at unitedblackplayers.org. What is that soundbite? If they heard nothing but what you say right now about United Black Players. The UBP is a group that's been creating positive and immediate change within their communities, and they're a group that's committed to create change, positive change within this game. And that's, that's, touches on, that's the broader scope, but yeah, that's we are committed for a whole tenure to create change and create more opportunities for Black and Brown players to get into higher positions. You are a model citizen, a fantastic player, and an even better human being. You can learn more about Hugh Roberts and United Black Players by going to unitedblackplayers.org. I can't think of a better person to kick off this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast. Honored to spend time with you, Hugh Roberts. Thanks for being on. Yes, sir, my man. It was an honor. I really appreciate you having me. Hugh Roberts is first class. Want to thank Lisa Payton and Chris Busey for pushing him forward and to start our show. It's Pride Month, so we continue to dedicate at least one segment to somebody from the LGBTQ plus and allies community. We're so pleased to be joined by Robin Hart. Robin Hart, when we return. Introducing the first ever CoachCon, presented by Soccer.com in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada, August 11th through the 13th. Register now to experience distinct coaching education from top-level professionals and earn a special topics diploma in game analysis or organizational leadership. Spots are extremely limited. Register today at unitedsoccercoaches.org slash CoachCon. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. So proud to dedicate the entire month to Pride Month. And we're so pleased to be joined by the head coach of the Cal State East Bay women's soccer team, Robin Hart, who is a proud member of 
the United Soccer Coaches LGBTQ Plus and Allies coaching community. Robin, thanks for being on during this all-important month. Great to be with you. It's a pleasure. So, Robin, what I like to do is I like to give our guests the opportunity to tell their story. So I'd love for you to tell your story. And what I mean by that, where you grew up, how you ended up at uh, Cal State East Bay, when you knew you wanted to be a coach, and then we'll get into more about Pride Month as we spend more time with you. Yeah, sure. I grew up in San Francisco, which is an oddity for most people to grow up in a, in a big city like that. Um, but grew up in San Francisco, played with the boys for a while until we, you know, found a club team for the on the girl side. I wasn't always into being a coach. Everyone told me growing up I was going to be a coach one day, and I rebelled against that for sure. But it caught me pretty early. I started coaching in college and the high school teams. And senior year of uh, spring of that senior year, um, I started coaching a club team, and eventually that turned into coaching in college. And you know, one step goes to the next and all of a sudden I'm the the head coach here at Cal State East Bay, which is in the CCAA, which is where I I played soccer in the CCAA at two different schools. And uh, I was an assistant coach at two CCAA schools. So it's kind of come and kept me around and I love coaching now and I can't imagine doing anything else. Let's dive deeper into that. What city is Cal State East Bay in? Yeah, Cal State East Bay is in Hayward, California. It's the East Bay of the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, we're about... 20 minutes, 15 minutes south of Oakland, uh, about 20 minutes north of San Jose. And uh, if you're taking BART, about a, a 45 to an hour into San Francisco. Um, so it's really close to everything. It's also really easy to get to the Central Valley from where we're at. Um, so it's kind of in a, it, it's not kind of, it's in a really cool place in, in the Bay Area. And what were the two schools specifically that you played for? Yeah, I played at Cal State Bakersfield when they were in the CCAA, still in Division II. Um, and then I came home and played at San Francisco State, which is still in our conference. Okay, and then just putting a name on it as well. I think you may have said it, but I may have missed it. The club team that you played for most oh, of the year. Oh, man. There wasn't. So <laughs> I played on the San Francisco Wildcats for a number of years um, and then played on some really like there was just one team. It wasn't a club. One team in, in Foster City and then one team in Novato, which Foster City is about 30 minutes south of San Francisco and Novato is about an hour north of San Francisco. In my day, there was, they weren't big clubs then, so to speak. All right. I and wasn't let me good enough to play on those big clubs, I should say. Okay. Well, I am trying to picture you as a soccer player. What was your best position? Probably be an eight. I likened myself to be a 10, but I was, I played at the six and the eight in, in college. All right, we're here with Robin Hart during Pride Month. She's a proud member of the LGBTQ plus and allies coaches community with United Soccer Coaches. When did you first learn about that community? It used to be called an advocacy group. And how long have you been a part of it? That's a good question. My assistant coach, and uh, I guess in my former assistant, must have been during COVID. Um, she asked me one day to, to leave the Zoom group because um, we were doing Zoom meetings at that time. Um, and little did I know, she rallied the whole team to submit a nomination form to be the award for the LGBTQ plus award for the year. And that's honestly how I got involved with the group um, was through that piece, um, because then I, I, I won that award. I started participating a little bit in the leadership group, but I honestly fell off and there's, they're doing great work in the group, but I haven't been an active um, participant as of late. But you're glad they're there, right? You're oh, glad absolutely. they're doing what they are. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're doing great work, the looking across for people in 
in, in the middle of the country and where some, some crazy laws are getting passed um, and people are losing their jobs. Um, so I'm more than grateful um, for the work that they're doing um, to look out for our community. Yeah, and with people losing jobs and some of the crazy divisiveness in this country, I think it's more and more important that we are unified and we have groups like the LGBTQ plus coaches community, right? Absolutely. I, I mean, if, if, you know, someone that for me in, in my in my bubble here in, in the Bay Area, it's sometimes hard to remember that there's other things out there unless you turn the news on. Um, and so people that have a passion to to look out for for these groups, it's it's more than important um, because everyone's livelihood and, and safety is is more important than anything. So how much do you want to share about your story discovering like who you were, Robin? I'm very open with my coming out story and figuring it out on, on all of that. Growing up in San Francisco, I was exposed to a lot of gayness, so to speak, and people that live outside of the traditional heterosexual heteronormative. Um, bubble, but I didn't come out until I was 18, um, where I realized um, and I accepted myself. And you look back, you can go back to you know your earliest memories and know that you were gay. But for me, I didn't come to it until I, I left home actually and went to Bakersfield of all places, um, which isn't known for um, its liberal <laughs> accepting. Um, you know, not that it's to say it's not, but that's where I came out was in college and. You know, my my family's very supportive. And so that part was easy. You know, my first visit home was was fairly easy to tell them. Teammates were great. Coaches were fine. So, you know, I in some ways, I'm super lucky to have so many of those accepting pieces where I didn't have the hardships of, you know, parents pushing me away or or anything of that nature. So I consider myself one of the absolute lucky folks in this world um, to have, you know, growing up, my dad would tell me, uh, I don't care who you love, doesn't matter the race, he would say, you know, black, white, rainbow, green, blue, it literally doesn't matter, man, woman, anywhere in between. So, and that's coming from my, my, my white dad, that's, uh, um, he's so red, his, his neck just is, so, you know, <laughs> he goes out in the sun, his neck turns uh, this bright shade. So I'm super grateful for, for all of that. And, you know, probably the hardest person to tell was my my grandmother, um, who spoke very little English, spoke Cantonese exclusively. She pretended not to speak English, I should say. And telling her was, I was worried most about it. And she tapped me on the leg and said, sweetie, I love you no matter what. Um, and so, yeah, for me, it was super easy. Um, not super easy. It wasn't super easy. Coming out is not easy, <laughs> even when you have all the support at your disposal. So yeah, that's a quick version of my coming out story and figuring it out. It's nice and refreshing to hear that you had all of that support. And usually, you know, you do look first to your mom and dad and your grandparents are closest to you. And to, to, to have that is important. And then I think that allowed you then to also make the next step and, and also get married. Tell me what sure. that has meant to you in your life. And even as your role as a coach to have that support, at, you know, being married. I don't know. It's, um, you know, marriage isn't easy, no matter who you're married to, man, woman, or anywhere in between. But being able to have the support of my family um, is tremendous. And, you know, now I identify so much as a parent. Um, I've got two kids. And I think that's probably our biggest shift is being a, a, a parent and a coach. 
um, is is the biggest identity shift in so many ways. And I think it's made me a better coach being a parent. Awesome. Tell, tell us about your kids. What are their names and ages? And yeah, so I've, yeah, I've got a um, an eight year old. Um, her name's Sawyer uh, and a soon to be four year old Sullivan. Um, and he, they're I don't know. They're awesome kiddos. Um, Sawyer refused to play soccer for a couple of years. Um, and we finally convinced her to, to join a rec team. And, um, she's told me that it's her sport. I'm not sure about it yet, but she, she signed up for the next year. So that's all I can ask for. And yeah, they're cool kids. They're great. Yeah, they're great. <laughs> yeah. They're great. They're great. Cause you're great. And talking with Robin Hart, who is the head coach of Cal state East Bay. What do your kids, have they asked you about the fact that they have two moms, I guess is the best way to say it. Yeah. Uh, how do you deal with that? Yeah, no, we're very open with them. Like they've met their donor siblings, for example. Um, we, we've done that side of things. We talk about um, their sperm donor and all of that. Um, you know, of course, they're always going to have some questions and, you know, my son very much likes a male energy, right? So we have to make sure he spends some good times with um, really good men in our lives or uncles and friends. And, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be times where like, we've heard it from our daughters. Like, I wish we were, I wish I had a dad sometimes and I wish it was more normal. Um, and that's coming from a place where she has classmates that have, have two moms and she's around, you know, she's around it all the time. Um, but it's, it's part of that is like, we just have to have really open and vulnerable conversations and, you know, not take it personally when she'll say something like that. Um, it's just kids, right? And they're observing the world um, and need to see it in all sorts of ways. You know, we just went out to Provincetown in, in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and where my, my wife's from. You know, it's a super gay, art-friendly um, town. And to see other moms doing, you know, walking around and dads um, with two, two moms or dads families, um, just exposure, right? For our kids, for, you know, even, even in the Bay area, right. You're going to have some of those hiccups, but we just love the crap out of those two kids. And um, it doesn't matter. How much has being a coach, which has to be somebody that needs to get the attention of everybody around them helped you in this community, Robin, if that makes any sense at all, because I feel like you're, you know, whether you're deeply involved with the LGBTQ plus coaching community, or you're just sort of involved, mm -hmm. you're still not afraid to use your voice. Having a presence is really important. Being very open um, for me, because it is a, um, I do have safety in my career, in my location, that it's important just to be who you are and to showcase that to let other people know it's okay. Like that there, there is hope, right. For someone that's struggling um, to come out in their community or, um, you know, maybe not getting the support that, that I have just to show that it is possible. Um, and so for me, it's just about living my truth and living who I, who I am. And um, hopefully that allows people to, to live their truth and um, be the best version of themselves. So. Yeah. Beautiful answer, Robert. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you doing it with such openness and such, candor you know it's pride month and you know it's interesting too we just came off of mental health awareness month and we continue to spread the message that it shouldn't stop when mental health awareness month ends you just heard me say that about the other different months as well what can you say about that as we continue to try to make sure that there's equality and you know we're seeing times where there's not 
how important is it that it goes beyond just one month that we recognize the importance of the LGBTQ plus and allies community? I think it really is important to have these months, right, to, to highlight and to showcase and to celebrate um, and to defend um, groups of people that have been marginalized. Um, but yeah, as you're right, it, it is a, a never-ending project or never-ending piece to, to advocate for. You know, one of the one of the things that popped on as you were, you were talking about that was even in my my daughter's school, right, which, you know, we're advocating in, in her school, for example, to have more support for, you know, she's got a couple of cl- classmates that are in the trans community, non-binary community, and figuring that out. And she's young. She's, in, you know, going in a rising third grader. Um, and so we are advocating for those those students and those kids year round, right? During the summer, we're advocating for them for next year. Um, so I think it's just in, in your own communities doing the little things um, to help somebody out. Finally, just to sum it up, because it is Pride Month, when you hear that it's Pride Month and knowing that you are a part of the LGBTQ plus soccer coaches community, in your own words, what does it mean to Robin Hart? To me, it means to, to remind myself of all of the, the support and, and luxuries in some ways that I've had. Um, I'm super proud to be a part of this group in, in this community, but that's changed for how I live that out. You know, in my early 20s, I was going to all the pride events you can imagine. Um, and now, right, it's just living who I am. So like this weekend is a is San Francisco Pride um, weekend, and I'm not going to be anywhere near that place. I'm going to be camping out with my kiddos. So for me, it's changed what it looks like, but it's still just living my truth. I appreciate that. Great answers. Great interview. I wish you all the best at Cal State East Bay. And whether you're fully involved or even just a little bit involved, we appreciate you supporting the United Soccer Coaches, especially the United Soccer Coaches LGBTQ plus allies coaching community and taking time out to be on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Pleasure getting to know you, Robin Hart. Thanks for being with us. Thank you very much. When we return, Sarah Mason, the development officer for United Soccer Coaches, as well as Al Albert, have some good things cooking again, this time with Stuart Holt, who heads up a very impressive organization called Cars for NP. That's Cars, the number four, np.com check it out you can donate cars make cash for your organization including united soccer coaches united soccer coaches now has their own united soccer coaches vehicle donation program that you can check out at unitedsoccercoaches.org Stuart holt when we return as a soccer coach, you're no stranger to developing your players. But how are you developing your own expertise? As a United Soccer Coaches member, you receive access to a range of resources, like our online learning platform, The Training Ground, to aid in the growth and enhancement of your coaching skills and career. From coaching education courses to lifestyle services, take advantage of new opportunities and member benefits with an annual United Soccer Coaches membership for just $125. Join the home of all coaches to Today at unitedsoccercoaches.org. Donating your car is easy. Have a car you no longer need? Maybe you want to make a difference in someone's life. Perhaps your classic car is collecting dust. Or you have a car that is breaking the bank to fill the tank. Whatever your reason, we make donating easy. We accept cars, trucks, motorcycles, ATVs, motorhomes, trailers, boats, and many other types of vehicles. All you need to do is call our toll-free number or complete our online donation form. 
Schedule a free convenient pickup time from your home, office, or repair shop. Provide the tow facility with your signed title and they will provide you with a donation receipt. When your car sells, we will provide you with a tax receipt. If it sells for over $500, your tax receipt will include the IRS 1098C form. So what are you waiting for? Put your vehicle to good use. Donate today and receive a tax deduction. Call us today or complete our online donation form. See, donating is that easy. Well, she certainly made it sound easy. And the number to call is 855-500-RIDE, which is 855-500-7453. Another exciting initiative for United Soccer Coaches is they're working directly with CARS for nonprofits doing good. That's CARS, the number four nonprofits doing good. And boy, are we lucky to be joined by the founder, president, and CEO of CARS for Nonprofits Doing Good. That's Stuart Holt, as we welcome in Stuart Holt right now. Stuart, thanks for being with us. Glad to be with you. Yeah, we're delighted to have you. And it's another exciting cause that United Soccer Coaches has gotten behind. But let's learn a little bit more about it, Stuart. Tell us when you came up with this idea and how long has CARS for Nonprofits Doing Good been around? About three or four years ago, I have been on a lot of boards personally. And every time I've been on the board, you know, we try to raise funds as most you know nonprofits do. And one of the things that I realized is that a tremendous amount of donors have assets that they could donate that could be turned into cash. But the irony of it is that most nonprofits were not offering a way for that to be accomplished. So I started thinking about this, and then there was one, I won't name them, but there's a big player in this you know, area, and they're on the radio all the time, and they do a great job. But most people can't donate to their, you know, if you will, the cause that they love, the things that they have found that mean so much to them. It actually goes to this one particular uh, nonprofit. So I started thinking, let's have a way for nonprofits to offer a way for vehicles or even real estate or any kind of um, you know asset be donated so it can be turned into cash. And so a couple of years ago, three years ago, we came up with it and we've launched it and we've got a lot of clients coming forward. And then Stuart Holt, are you a soccer fan? How did you find United Soccer Coaches? How did United Soccer Coaches find you, Stuart? So that's funny. I'm, I am not a soccer fan, even though I do like soccer. I'm not, when I say I'm not a soccer fan, I watch most of the, the major soccer games that come on TV, but you know, I'm, I'm not that. But I found out through calling on universities. I've done so much work in fundraising with universities and started calling on the universities that I had done a lot of work with before. And through William & Mary College, which is University in Virginia, uh, one of the fellows there who knew about the soccer association say, hey, listen, you need to get involved here. And that's how we got connected. Well, that works because William and Mary, we already think of Al Albert, who was huge yeah. with the foundation. And look, you don't have to like soccer, but if you meet Sarah Mason, the development officer for United Soccer Coaches, I know you like her. Talk about that connection you made with Sarah to get this off the ground. Al Albert that was the one who got us connected. And then we got to talking about it. And I was trying to explain to her what are the benefits to the soccer association, but mainly what is the benefit to the donors? You know, it's great that um, this will be a way for the soccer association to get some funding, but 
it's a great advantage and benefit to the the donors because they get a hundred percent tax credit for the gift that they give, which could be, let's say, an old vehicle. And the nice thing about it is the car doesn't have to be running. I mean, if the car is, you know, going to be towed away to be fixed, it may cost you more to do that than it is to just donate the car. Let's get to know you a little bit better, Stuart Holt. Tell us your story on where you were before you became the founder and president and CEO of Cars for Nonprofits. I do want to remind everybody, I think the website, Stuart, that you prefer people go to is simply cars, the number four NP.com. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. All right. Perfect. Now tell us your stories, please. So I, at a very young age, got into the marketing industry and at the age of 32, formed my own company called Response Marketing Group and built it up to the second largest marketing firm in America and then sold it to, back in 1999 to Dan Snyder, owner of the Washington Redskins, now the the you know commanders, but anyway, the the it was a great thing. I had 300 employees. We were all over the country, actually, in other countries as well, and it was just a great time. But we we sold the company, and I got involved in a tremendous amount of nonprofits, particularly the YMCA, and this is where I, I was asked to do the fundraising, if you will, in a lot of different ways by doing the ask, and so that's what got me thinking about this particular area. But that's my background. And I came out of retirement to start this company and, and love it. And how long have you been doing it, Stuart? Well, we did it. We've been doing it for three years, but we we got kind of sidetracked with the pandemic and a few other things. Uh, it, it was originally, we put it in South Carolina. I had a partner who I've known for years who had one of the largest auction firms, car auction firms in the world, but he his health is not great. So he decided to to take a pass, and then I had to reorganize it in Virginia. I got through the pandemic, got it reorganized, and we're off and running. But we've we've landed a number of clients, and it's going well. We're here with Stuart Holt, the founder, president, and CEO of Cars for Nonprofits, doing good. I opened it up with the fine video of the woman who always sounds better than me, looks better than me. So I thought we would open with her as she opened it up. She certainly did make it look easy. We already have a link at unitedsoccercoaches.org. It says support United Soccer Coaches, donate a vehicle, easy process, free towing, tax benefits. Call 855-500-RIDE or submit the online form. Tow, schedule a vehicle pickup at no cost to you. Receive a donation receipt at the time of the pickup. It really is that easy, right, Stuart? It's absolutely that easy. It's a no-brainer. United Soccer Coaches Vehicle Donation Program. The mission of United Soccer Coaches is to provide programs and services that enhance, contribute to, and advocate for the development and recognition of soccer coaches, players, and the game we love. Donate your vehicle to United Soccer Coaches by simply completing the form below, and a representative from our vehicle donation partner will reach out to arrange pickup at no cost to you. You may qualify for a tax deduction while supporting a cause that's near and dear to your heart. We accept all types of vehicles. There's an online vehicle donation form, but as you mentioned, boats, planes, helicopters, trucks, you name it, they can donate it, right? Yeah, and even real estate, even though that's not listed on the landing page and probably should be added in the future, but even real estate. All right, as we end, I want to go back to the notion that this started with Al Albert, who has spent a great deal of his life, one, being a great coach. You know, he's in the Hall of Fame. He's an honor award winner for United Soccer Coaches. 
and other raising money. He is one of the legacy money raisers for uh, the College of William and Mary, an esteemed college, and also for United Soccer Coaches. He's about doing good. And I got to believe, Stuart, in what you're doing here, you're about the same thing. So it had to make for a perfect partnership. It did. And I tell you, I, I, he is a terrific guy. I got a chance to meet him. I had not met him when we first met because we met through the phone originally, but just met him in person. And I'm telling you, I was very impressed. He's a terrific person. And his uh, heart is to help when he can. And that's the main thing. He wants to be helpful to a lot of different organizations, but he's got a real heart of generosity, I think. Pretty simple, folks. Call this number, 855-500-RIDE, or go online to United Soccer Coaches. Look for the donor information for donating your car or even real estate, all kinds of things, as Stuart Holt said. It's cars for nonprofits doing good. Stuart Holt, if people want to get a hold of you and learn more, do you mind sharing your email or ways for people to follow you? I did mention the website earlier, but I'd like you to say that again, too. Yeah, so you can get me at an email at Stuart at cars with the number four NP.com. Or you can call my cell. I, I take phone calls. Most people don't like all that, but it's 804-240-3356. That's the best way. You can also, of course, go to our website, which is cars4np.com. All right. And then, Stuart, our ultimate goal at the end of the day will be to have a lot of people donate, but it'll also be to turn Stuart Holt into a big time soccer fan and a fan of United Soccer Coaches. Think we can do that, sir? I think you're on the way because we're huge sports fans. If I had my uh, video on here, you'd see a room that's full of sports memorabilia. All right. Stuart Holt, a great man, founder, president and CEO of Cars for nonprofits. You just heard the website. The number one more time is call 855-500-RIDE. Stuart Holt, thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. You got it. Thank you for having me. We are not done. When we return, we'll talk NWSL. We'll talk Women's World Cup. We'll talk a little bit Juneteenth again. We'll just talk soccer with one of my favorites, J-Mac, Jessica McDonald, a national champion with the University of North Carolina Tar Heels, a champion with NWSL when she played with the Courage. She is pregnant with her second child. We're so excited to talk about that as well. J-Mac, Jessica McDonald on the bounce. College Services Registration is open for the 2023-24 season. Now is the time to register your program and begin receiving the benefits of United Soccer Coaches membership. As a member, you gain access to coaching resources, general liability insurance, awards and rankings eligibility, and so much more. As the home of all coaches, United Soccer Coaches serves to support coaches, recognize your athletes' accomplishments, and advocate for meaningful change that protects coaches coaches and players. Register your program today by visiting unitedsoccercoaches.org backslash college. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast where I'm delighted to be joined by one of my all-time favorites. Her story is amazing coming out of Arizona, a multi-sport star that Anson Dorrance found where she won some national championships at North Carolina. She won NWSL championships with the North Carolina Courage. She I think played in the WPS as well, right, J-Mac? Yes, correct. WPS. Now, you didn't play in the WUSA, though, right? You're not that old, right? Oh, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're talking about J-Mac, Jessica McDonald, one of my favorites. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. 
Yeah, thanks so much for having me once again. It's always amazing having a nice little chat with you, Dean. So thank you so much for thinking of me. And I'm just looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, you always bring a smile to my face and love seeing all of your pictures with Jeremiah. But they're big news because J-Mac is going to have another baby. That is another so exciting. One. Tell yeah. us all about that. When the babies do, how are you feeling? I mean, this is a big thing. Oh, my goodness. Let me tell you. Let me give you a little rundown here. So <laughs> our first few games of this season, I didn't know I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. And I play for Racing Louisville, for those of you who don't know. I remember every game, the first three or four games this season, I never, Dean, let me tell you, I never look up at the clock unless it's late in the second half. You know, if we're up a goal, okay, let's go to the corner. You know, mentality is a little different at the end of the game, <laughs> but never in the first half do I look up at the clock. And I promise you the first game of, of this season, I looked up at the clock and it was only like 11 minutes into the game. It was like 11 minutes, 30 seconds. I'm like, oh, okay. Why do I feel winded? In the 11th minute. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, like, you're at peak fitness right now. I just finished playing in Australia. You yeah. know, like I was on this high, especially in preseason, you know, um, I set my own record in the 1K when we did fitness, you know, and I'm like, I am not out of shape, but why do I feel winded? And then I felt that way the second game and then the third game and then the fourth game, but I ended up playing, you know, 60 minutes each game, you know, obviously it was mind of a matter at that point, but you know, it finally clicked to me what was going on with my body and, you know, took a test and I'm like, oh, there we go. There's my answer. Why I've been feeling this way. You know, I've been, wow. you know, just struggling, even just warming up, you know, I'm like, whoo, anyone else like breathing hard here? It's just me, you know, so I was like, it was a surprise, but you know, something I've been looking forward to for a really long time, really, honestly, um, timing was, you know, everything I guess and you know it's it's nice to my mentality is different this time around throughout this this pregnancy and I was 24 when I had my first child and now I'm 35 and mentality is just so different from then to now I was 24 for the first one and didn't even know who I was who is Jess McDonald and I couldn't even describe myself at that time you know I didn't have my crap together I was recovering from knee surgery you know just in Glendale, Arizona, back at home recovering and then ended up having my, my first child. But now just being more cognizant of life and knowing who I am, knowing what my purpose is now, just being stable. And I'm not even talking about financially, just in life in general, just mentally, you know, in every shape, way or form and knowing what to expect with a child. Whereas the first time around, it was scary you know, I'm young, I'm broke. Like it was just a whole different mindset than it is now. So I was ecstatic once, you know, I figured it out and I'm like, oh, heck yeah. You know, round two, let's go. So I'm, I'm pumped. It was a surprise, but I'm like super excited by, by this surprise this time around. So yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. So great. So happy for you. How are you feeling? How has the pregnancy gone? And then as a follow-up to that, how does your son, Jeremiah, feel about having a brother or sister? Yeah, let me tell you. So I'm 16 weeks now. I'm four months now. And the first trimester, whew, let me tell you, <laughs> wow, I did not feel this way with my first child, first and foremost. I mean, you want to talk about fatigue? I There were days in a row where I was in and out of sleep for about 18 hours a day. Like, I mean, I was 
wiped. I mean, the only amount of energy I had was just to go downstairs, eat, come back upstairs, shower, and then go back to sleep. I was like that for a couple of weeks in the first trimester. And it was, it was brutal and nausea really hit. That was horrible. Never really felt nauseous before until the first trimester. And so that was a terrible experience, but never threw up, you know, that might be too much information, but that's, <laughs> that's a plus, I guess. But first trimester was a, a true challenge. It really was, you know, I told you about the first few games you know, this season and just feeling winded with my own job. So it was, it was a struggle, but now in my second trimester and I'm feeling so much more energetic, you know, I'm not napping as much and um, I'm able to, you know, go through my training programs now, you know, with no problem being able just to get up in the morning and, you know, get things done, you know, whereas like my laundry was piling up in the first trimester. I mean, my room was looking very unacceptable for a 35 year old. Let me tell you that. So um, yeah, just, just feeling great now, honestly, just feeling a lot more energetic and on my toes a little bit more. And my son, he is, he's really excited. He is super into human anatomy. Um, he's like, he's been obsessed with just like the human body in general for literally since he was about seven years old. And it's fascinating to know the amount of knowledge he has about the human body. And he's like, mom, you're really tired because the baby's taking a lot of energy out of you. And I'm like, yeah, like, how do you, how do you know that? Like what 11 year old like knows things like that, you know? And he's like, oh, you know, my, um, human anatomy app on my, on my iPad. And I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot, I forgot you had that thing. You know, <laughs> one of my trainers from the courage, he, he actually wasn't even our trainer. He just like helped out. Um, but I was doing physical therapy with him a few years ago and he had this anatomy app on, on his iPad and it was showing me just like different body parts and like seeing how my knees functioning, blah, blah, blah. And Jeremiah was with me and Jared was like, mom, can you get that app for me? You know, oh. on my iPad. And I'm like, this thing's like $50. What are you going to do with this app? And here we are today. This kid knows more about what's going on with my body than probably the average human, but he's like super fascinated that he randomly asked me to be in the room while I give birth. Like that's how interested he is and wow. totally begging for a big, a little brother. So he wants to be a big brother to a little brother. And he's like crossing his fingers for that, but he's, he's super ecstatic. Like he like cannot wait for all of this to happen. One of the things that you've been very open about on social media is this love of your life. What can you tell us about the father of uh, your second child here? Because you seem very happy in all the pictures I see you and him together. Yeah. Oh, it is. It's such a relief finding your person. It, it sounds just so cliche, but I have told this to close friends and now I'm just, I'm just going to go public with it because our story is absolutely fascinating. I mean, we tell people our story on how we met and just like the whole rundown on the engagement. I I'm the one that proposed actually. <laughs> so it's like, that's just cherry on top. And so just cause I knew right away, like this was my guy, but you know, we both had dreams about one another before we even knew each other existed. Wow. So I had like this weird deja vu moment where I was watching Liverpool on TV and he was like laying on the couch with me and I'm just watching soccer. And I like popped up and I'm like, I had a dream about this moment. Like, the, like, and the same thing happened to him. You know, we went on vacation to the Caribbean and um, he had a deja vu moment when we were looking out at the dock and he was like, I had a dream about this moment. 
And this was like at the very beginning of our relationship. Like we had just met about a month beforehand and didn't even know each other existed. And just to have this like weird connection that we can't even explain to people that it's gotten to the point now where once I figured out I was pregnant, I didn't say anything to him yet. So, you know, we're doing distance right now. He lives in Michigan. I live in Louisville and I hit him up and it was like, good morning. It was like our good morning routine. Like, oh, how did you sleep? Oh, slept great. You know, and just kind of catching up on a little bit of the morning. And I asked him, I was like, Hey, did you, um, I just randomly asked him this. I gave him no hints. He knows nothing yet. I just like, just peed on the stick. Okay. It, like <laughs> I'm excited to tell him. And so I'm like, Hey, did you by any chance have a dream last night? And he's like, that's really funny. You asked me that. Yeah. He's like, I actually had a very vivid dream. And I'm like, I need to know what dream you had last night. Oh my. And mind you, Last night was the first time it like lingered in my mind that I might be pregnant. So I waited the next morning to take the test because that's when your pee is more potent. So <laughs> that morning and he's like, yeah, I had the most vivid dream that I've had in a very long time. And I'm like, I need to know what your dream was. And he's like, I was in the hospital and a doctor was handing me a baby. I said, you are lying through your teeth. Oh, he, goes, he goes, no, I swear to you. And I'm like, I... I'm not wrapping my, my head around this. You know, I was, but I wasn't like, it was like, I'm not surprised because this is how fascinating our relationship has been. And I was like, and he's like, no, I, I promise you, this is what happened in my dream. And it was so, it felt very real, you know? And I'm like, that is absolutely insane. He's like, that's really funny that you asked me, I was having a dream. He's like, why did you want to know that? And I was like, because I'm pregnant. And he's like, no, now you're lying through your teeth. You're <laughs> lying about this dream, you know? So it's just been such a, a special, you know, it almost sounds like a movie, this very romantic relationship that it's just so difficult to explain to other people, but it totally makes sense to us. But, you know, we just look over at each other, like, what is going on? Like, what, what is this significance in our relationship? And this is something that's never happened to me in my entire life. Like I've never had butterflies ever, like in a relationship with anybody ever in my life. I never knew what that felt like, you know, until really I stepped onto the field in the world cup, you know, that was you know feeling butterflies, but when it comes to romance, you know, I've never felt that way towards someone. And, you know, he gives me butterflies and I'm like, what does that mean? Like, what is this, you know, what is this connection? So we have like this really, really unique connection with one another. And it's something that is very, you know, surreal basically, but like, I am so obsessed with our story that we do enjoy telling people and like half the time people are like you you guys are lying like we swear to you we cannot make this up you That's know and so yeah. It's, it's it's been yeah absolutely fascinating just being with him and you know really continuing to get to know him as you know we both grow a family together now in a foundation so it's been like absolutely amazing any part of that dream do you let people know his name or do you keep that hidden um oh no his name's patrick yeah okay. uh, yeah Patrick right. McKenzie. so yeah we're pretty public on social media so yeah that's, that's all right no. I didn't know his name say his name one more time yeah Pat Patrick Patrick McKenzie Patrick McKenzie okay yeah, he goes by PJ for short so all right awesome all right cool I thought you were going to keep his name from us so that's oh, no sorry no, 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 Patrick I mean, this story is amazing on so many levels and like I said you can feel your love on social media and I love the fact that you told me that you're going to get married 
on New Year's Eve. I got married on New Year's Eve 28 years ago. So you're still planning on doing that, right? Not not this yeah. New Year's Eve, but the next New Year's Eve, correct? Yeah. So my our due date was too close to New Year's Eve this year. So we just pushed it back one year. We're like, you know what? New Year's Eve is just so significant. And what made made it even um more unique, like with our story that we were going to get married, like this New Year's Eve was the date is one, two, three, one, two, three. And, you know, we've been kind of manifesting with numbers as well, you know, with, with certain dates, you know, I, I proposed to him on one twenty three, twenty two. So like the numbers, like one, two, three always pop up in our story, nice. you know, and so like for our wedding to be on one, two, three, one, two, three, like, you know, it was just like cherry on top, but we ended up pushing it back a year, which is fine. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, congratulations. That is so exciting. I love the fact that you're going to wait until the baby comes into this world to know whether Jeremiah has a brother or a sister. So we're here with J-Mac, Jessica McDonald. She is pregnant with child. I do want to tell you, by the way, that I've been around long enough that another person that you know well, Carla Overback, was, I want to say, around four months pregnant when she came off the bench and scored the winning goal against the Atlanta Beat and Cindy Parlow to put the Carolina Courage in the final. Carson was in her belly when she scored. So she probably was feeling the same way you were feeling out there as well. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't start the game though, J-Mac. She came off the bench so um, and scored the winner. Did you know that, by the way? Yes, I did know. Yeah, I did. Okay. Absolutely right, fascinating cool. of a story. So yeah. <laughs> All right, big time. All right, listen, also, I love having you on because you're such a proud Black woman. I love that about you. You know, we just celebrated Juneteenth as a country, which I know it has to make you proud as, you know, I feel like we continue to make progress. I will tell you, J-Mac, I don't know if you know this, but I went to the Black Soccer Coaches Legends event at the convention, and I was uplifted. Um, you know, in many ways, similar to your story, I was in a different aura. And after that, every week on this show, I have had at least one person of color this, this week, too, and I'm not going to stop because their stories need to be told. Absolutely amazing. I think it's absolutely fascinating to obviously spread the love and, and spreading the word for people of color. You know, I think we will continue to deserve that and deserve that that type of recognition. So um, Juneteenth is just so special for all of us, really, because of those who who fought since day one being in this country, you know, just for us, just for us to have a life and just for us to have this type of freedom that, you know, they couldn't imagine having. And so this is just such a beautiful life to, to live in, you know, for black people, just because, you know, I think that, you know, when I look at my, when I look at my grandmother's story, this is where I, I appreciate our history so much more. My grandmother grew up in Alabama and she was born in the thirties and grew up in the forties and fifties and sixties and um, eventually moved to Arizona um, somewhere in the eighties, seventies or eighties. And so it's really fascinating to just even hear her story and the struggles that she went through in comparison to me now. And so just being able to represent our family nowadays and having the privilege that I have in comparison to my grandmother and obviously those who were obviously born way before me and, and kind of been through more of the struggle and more of the fight. I, I just couldn't even imagine or, or wrap my head around what, you know, African-Americans had gone through beforehand. And so it's just a beautiful thing to obviously get that recognition now. 
And so just to make it a public holiday is just obviously cherry on top for our culture. And so that is like the most important thing to me deep down because my grandmother and still to this day she'll she'll point out how many black girls are on my team and how proud she is of that and so she she'll be like do you remember that you were the only black girl growing up on, on your club team now now look at you and your pro team you got girls from africa you got girls from here you got girls from you know you got a jamaican national team player you know she's naming everybody there's how so proud she is and i'm like you know what yeah this is absolutely fascinating just like how proud she is of our blackness and she's instilled that and in, you know really all of her grandchildren as well and so it is an amazing thing to obviously represent you know because black is beautiful and that's something that we always remind ourselves of so it's it's absolutely amazing to obviously get that recognition and i absolutely love it well we're not going to stop because we know we're still a long ways from being where we need to be in this country a long long ways but we're not going to stop we're going to keep on pushing you know the other reason i wanted to have you on is obviously you're not playing right now as you get ready to have your second child but louisville is playing i'll be on the call on Bally's with North Carolina Courage, Casey White. I'm not sure if you played with Casey White or not, but she is going to join me in the broadcast booth for the game against Louisville. NWSL starting to heat up. We're starting to see, you know, which teams are looking like they're going to rise to the top. What are your thoughts right now on NWSL? It feels like it's fairly wide open. You know, Portland's always really good. San Diego's always really good. North Carolina, quite frankly, surprising me right now with the way they're playing. What are you thinking of the NWSL right now? Yeah, it. you know what? When I think of the NWSL right now, it is just so amazing to see how competition amongst the entire league is just equal. You never know who's going to beat who, you know, that's how absolutely amazing and professional this league is and how amazing these women are in this league. You just ne you never know who's going to win. You, you can't predict anything. You see Kansas City is up 2-0 the other day against Washington Spirit. You're like, oh, Kansas City's got this. Uh, Spirit end up coming back winning three to two you know that's all the drama that you need in this league so we're going to continue seeing all the drama in this league and just seeing racing Louisville on sort of this positive momentum you know winning more games this season than they have really in history um you know it, it's kind of giving them a boost but then you look at North Carolina and the same thing's happening you know, they're winning. I mean, Carolyn, she, she's on her front foot right now. Sav DeMello, she's on her front foot right now. So just seeing these two teams clash this coming weekend, I mean, there's there's no predictions. You, like, you know, it, it's, it's hard to even tell, no matter what teams are playing who. I mean, you've got a lot of players in this league who are at their peak right now. And it is clear as day who all of those players are. And it is absolutely fascinating to see the league from day one to now being in this league since day one and just comparing it to now I'm like whoa this is it's like night and day now and just watching the competition now amongst everybody has been one of the most beautiful things to be able to witness and this game coming Saturday it's going to be quite a clash you know it's not going to be an easy game for either team so both teams are very difficult to beat and I'm very excited to sit back and watch the last thing I want to cover, and this will have happened the day before this show is released. The show is released on Thursday. The Courage Play Racing Louisville J-Max team on Saturday as she as their team faces her former team in the North Carolina Courage. But on Wednesday, Vlatko Andonovsky is expected to announce the roster for the Women's World Cup. You were part of a World Cup. It changed your life. 
I've told you a million times, I was so proud of you, how you maximized that opportunity and you were saying yes to everything to get out of your comfort zone. I'm so proud of you for doing that. And I think you'll always continue to do that. You know firsthand how the World Cup will change people's lives. Blackhill's got some tough decisions, right? Becky Sauerbrunn is down. We don't know about Julie Ertz. We know Mallory's out. We know Macario is out. He's got to make some tough decisions on who's going to be in that back line. You know, for me, there's a couple locks, including one on the North Carolina Courage. Emily Fox is an amazing soccer player because she can play anywhere. But as you think about the World Cup team, do you have any ideas like, uh, you know, is the center back combo going to be Cook and Gurma? And then who's going to play the all important holding mid right in front if Julie Ertz can't go? What are your thoughts on that? Blacko definitely has some really tough decisions to make. That's that's really hard. Like that's probably one of the hardest coaching decisions I've probably seen, you know, since the day I've been born in U.S. women's soccer history. Just yeah. because at the end of the day, Becky Sauerbrunn is a very irreplaceable player, very irreplaceable leader alone you know and that's going to be really hard to replace and so that'll definitely be a tough decision for Vladko to make but if if I'm looking at consistency if I'm looking at you know most minutes played less injuries you know I'm kind of looking at the bigger picture um you know my two starting center backs would probably be Gurma and Alana Cook they got the experience playing next to one another at the international level um, they've kind of been secondary stepping up with one another if Becky's not in. And so, um, Tiana Davidson is, you know, starting to get her groove a little bit. I know Chicago's struggling a little bit, but hopefully once she gets some minutes in at the international level and continuing to kind of grind for her club, um, you know, hoping to kind of see her maybe on the roster, maybe that's a possibility because there are not very many choices when it comes to center backs that have been on the U.S. Women's national team roster and so Gurma and Alana Cook you know are two women of color in the back hopefully holding it down throughout the World Cup so I would be really excited to see them kind of grow next to one another you know especially on the biggest stage out there so um, Julie Ertz is is another one that is very interesting you know between her Rose Lavelle, you know, there's a handful of players that are questionable right now, like sort of in this weird bubble, you know, we haven't seen Rose play very much, but we know she's eased into training again, but how fit is she? How, how is Julie Ertz going to stay consistent? You know, she's been in and out of games since she's been back in the league. And so um, we'll see, but there is no other Julie Ertz out there. Really? You, you look at you know, the type of gun that she is. And so, you know, she, she's what I like to call the cleaner, you know, she does all the dirty work. Mm -hmm. She, she cleans up the mess, you know? And so that's a really tough role to play. And so um, I would love to see her on the roster, in my opinion, just, you know, for, for some of that experience as well, I think with such a young team, you know, I, I feel like they, Vladko will make some decisions on, you know, a few experienced players to say the least, at least, one in each position, I would say. So I think that would put the cherry on top for this team throughout the World Cup. Just a little bit of experience with, you know, the young ones who have had their experience at the international level. You know, they're all hungry and I see everyone growing um, as players. Like you said, you mentioned Emily Fox. I mean, Sophia Smith, I mean, enough said about her. 
Um, Trini Rodman, she's catching up as well. She's she's doing phenomenal work as well. And so um, it's definitely going to be interesting to see the final roster. So I'm I'm super pumped about it. But, you know, those are kind of my my two cents on, you know, who should be out there a little bit. You think your former teammate Lynn Williams also makes the roster? I think maybe she oh. does now that Mallory's out. Sorry, I missed I missed Lynn Williams. My apologies. But <laughs> uh, I'm rooting for this girl. There's no way he's saying no to Lynn Williams. I'm sorry. But, you know, I, I thought I saw Lynn Williams a handful of years ago at her peak in her career. But this woman just came back from injury and is probably better than what she was before, which is like absolutely mind blowing. And she's she's been one of those consistent players this season who is um, scoring goals. She's been a true leader for Gotham FC this season. She they just signed her for a multi-year deal. And so I'm banking on Lynn actually making the roster. So, yeah. And I also would not be too surprised if two former Tar Heels, Dunn and Fox, are at the outside back positions. Um, I know Crystal would prefer to play more in the midfield, but would you be surprised at all if those two were back there with the aforementioned Cook and uh, Gurma? No, I won't be surprised at all. Just because between her and Fox, obviously, Crystal Dunn has been absolutely phenomenal this season in the midfield for Portland, but... She's been phenomenal in different positions every year she's played. You know, she's been at, at striker with Washington Spirit years ago, kind of worked her way into the midfield and totally dominated with the courage. Now she's dominated the midfield with Portland Thorns. But to top it off, throughout all those years, while she's been juggling different positions, she's been playing outside back for the USA team. You know, I mean, you could throw the girl anywhere. She'll dominate in any position, basically. And so I wouldn't see why not have her and Emily Fox, two of some of the fastest players on the team, who can run up and down the field and make an impact defensively and offensively, you know, cause they can both score. They can both get in the final third and they'll bust their butts to get back obviously into the defensive line to obviously make that kind of impact defensively. Finally, as it relates to the team, I'm not asking you to say one person's better than the other, but obviously with the courage, Murphy has been so good that a lot of courage fans are thinking maybe it might be her chance. However, in World Cups, they tend to go with veterans. Alyssa Nair has been there a long time, but do you think maybe it might be time for somebody like Murphy to step in between the pipes? I would absolutely love to see Casey Murphy ease her way in in between the two posts um, throughout the World Cup. I love Alyssa Nair. Alyssa Nair is an absolutely phenomenal goalkeeper, not taking away her talent whatsoever, but Casey Murphy has been an absolutely phenomenal leader for the Courage this season. If If you look at how the games have been going throughout this season for the courage. Obviously she has a great back line in front of her, but she's also very good at communicating with her back line and keeping them organized and, you know, kind of staying on top of them as well, but also coming in clutch with big saves as well. You know, if you, if you've watched her throughout this season um, for her club, she's been absolutely phenomenal. I mean, a lot of oohs and ahs whenever that ball's within that girl's vicinity. And so she definitely deserves that number one spot throughout the world cup so either way it goes i'm rooting for whoever is in goal you know obviously it's for the usa so um yeah i would definitely lean a little more towards casey murphy she looks a little more confident she looks you know a little sharper and so just seeing her getting better and better you know by the day has been absolutely amazing to witness this is actually serving maybe as a trial for you to hit the broadcast booth. I think it's something you're interested in. I know you and I have talked about it as well. It'd be an honor for me to call a game with you. I would not be surprised at all to see you working 
for Fox or ESPN or something like that down the road. But my final question for you, Jay Mack, as we celebrate you and everything that's going on with you and the gratefulness that God has given you with a child coming, which is awesome. I'm so happy for you and for Patrick and for Jeremiah and your entire family and everybody that knows you. But what is in the future for Jay Mack? And I'll just tell you, for me, have the baby, get back in shape and play 10 more years. If that's <laughs> not what you're going to do, what is it? Well, you know what? Physically, I, I probably could, to be honest. My body feels fantastic. But I, I, you know what? That's that's funny you mentioned broadcasting. And I, I feel like you don't know this, but I just went public a few days ago that I'll actually be in doing media throughout the entire Women's World Cup with a production company called Optus Sport. Okay. And they're like the ESPN, basically, of Australia. They're airing all the and all the world cup games excuse me nice um out there so i i networked while i was in australia playing in the a league and so just signed a contract with them a, a few weeks ago and got my foot in that door with no experience but you know i have to start somewhere and so i told you i wanted to follow in your footsteps with <laughs> podcasting so i gotta start somewhere why not with the women's world cup so <laughs> you know start off big here yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm super stoked for that so I definitely see that in the works, you know, in, in my future, but you know, everything else, you know, we'll see. I am, you know, there are a lot of things on my mind, what's, what's going to be coming next and, you know, football will definitely be involved, but what kind of role will it be? You know, we'll, we'll see physically. I feel great. I know I can go for a little while longer, but um, you know, at the end of the day, I want to focus on my family. So, you know, it's, it's it's really up in the air right now so you know stay tuned on you know my life journey in the future so we'll see you know i will jessica mcdonald one of my all-time faves a great interview thank you so much for being on the united soccer coaches podcast thanks so much for having me dean i appreciate it well she was great as always and we end the show with another great interview as we meet 30 under 30 member tyler gabera tyler gabera after these messages United Soccer Coaches Advanced Diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your player's development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced-diplomas for more information. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. If you've listened to this show over the last several years, you know this is my favorite part of the show as we meet another fascinating member of a 30 under 30 class for United Soccer Coaches, 15 amazing women, 15 amazing men. I think you've heard how much I love my job. I'm really loving the kind of cycle of my job. Now a broadcaster for over 30 years, particularly with our 30 under 30 guest today, Tyler Gabera. I knew his mom first, Karen Jennings. My first camp was out in Santa Barbara, 89, with the team as they were getting ready to play in the World Cup in 91. Met Karen, was fascinated by her ability. And then they moved me over to the men's team, and I met his dad, Jim Gabera, who had a ton of caps for the U.S. national team. I think made an Olympic team as well. What a combo. And they created this special man, Tyler Gabera, who joins me now. Tyler, great to be with you. Yeah, very excited to be here. Thank you, Dean. Appreciate it. Well, and if you recall, I had the great honor of calling your games at NC State, which was so cool. And it seemed like if Karen wasn't there, Jim was there, at least one of your parents were 
always there. So I got to call your games, Tyler. I love the way you played. You always brought a lot of grit and a lot of personality. Talk a little bit about uh, your time at NC State. That's one that will stick with me forever. Um, you know, going through the recruiting process, it's really hard to pick a single place where you want to go. You know, you get a little bit of everything in different ways at each place. But I knew the second that I stepped foot on NC State that that was home for me. It wasn't even like 10 minutes into the tour. I think I turned to my mom and I was like, this is home. This is it. So I knew right away. And eight years later, here we are. And I have absolutely no regrets. Absolutely loved my four and a half years there. I appreciate everyone that I crossed paths with there. And it's made me the person I am today. So I, I really appreciate that school. I talked about the fact that Karen and Jim created you. I want to make sure. Uh, do you have brothers and sisters as well? Did they create more Gabaras? Correct. Yeah. So I have two little sisters. One doesn't play anymore. And then my other little sister, Talia, is at University of Central Florida. She has one more semester and then she will graduate. She's got one last season and then she'll uh, she'll be out in the real world like the rest of us. So, OK, she's playing for Tiffany Roberts. I I take it. Correct. Okay. Correct. She was just on this podcast a couple couple weeks ago. Look, since I opened with that and the fact that I came into U.S. soccer with your mom and dad, ostensibly, you know, kind of the same time. And I felt like I got lucky, Tyler. I walked into the penthouse, you know, the U.S. team hadn't qualified for the World Cup in 40 years. The first Women's World Cup was happening. The Olympic team in 92 with Lalas and Kobe and Joe Max, and they were really good. So it was a great time. And then the World Cup was coming in 94. But do you get tired of talking about your mom and dad or is it something you enjoy talking about? Because your mom and dad, obviously, tremendous legacies. At this point in time, I think it's it gets old. Um, <laughs> it's not necessarily it's not it's not necessarily my punchline to you know bring up them because I'm I want to create my own legacy in in a different way than them. But I, I do appreciate them for for making the stakes high and having high expectations for me. I think that's something that I I take true pride in and making sure that I'm doing the everything to the best of my ability to make sure that I continue the family legacy. So very, that's a great answer. Very, uh, yeah, it's, and it's good. And I enjoy talking about them because it's rare. I don't know anybody that has two former national team players and maybe very few besides maybe the Reynas, <laughs> um, but you know, there's not, there's not many out there. So it's, it's truly special and I appreciate everything that they've done for me up to this point. So well, let's focus on you and what you're doing now because you're still playing, which is great because I, I'm one of those people I wished I could play. I do what I do because I couldn't play, but I love what I do because of people like you that played great and you're playing and you're also helping players get better. And I think you're doing it with another friend of mine in Brent Boone, I think. Like, right. tell us what you're doing right now. In terms of Pelota training, we are a supplemental technical training company. So we work with kids on an individual or small group basis, and they come from many different clubs, places all over, and they'll come and they'll train an hour with us and it's straight technical training. It's a pretty simple process, but it's very satisfying to have a kid come in and watch them really grow through the time of working with us. It's just really satisfying to see them put in the work and continue to trust the process and grow and and grow their game and see them take the steps up up the ladder how did you come 
connected to Pelota. I, I believe that's maybe where you grew up. I know your mom's at Navy, been there for a long time. Not even sure how many years she's been there, but a great coach at Navy and still doing it. And Jim obviously made a great name for himself in the women's game for a long time as well. How did you come across Brent? And now I know you're a co-owner as well, which I think is exciting for somebody as young as you already basically saying, hey, I believe in Pelota. It's spelled, by the way, P-E-L-O-T-A. I believe in him and I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. The connection with uh, Brent and I is through Broadneck High School. Uh, I went to Broadneck, obviously, and he had been one of the assistants there for a long time. So my first encounter with him was when I was a 14-year-old freshman playing varsity soccer. Over the years, we continued to keep in touch because his son, Ben, is a year younger than me. So I played with Ben throughout our time in high school. And then Brent and I kept in touch throughout college. We love to call him a soccer junkie because he's just, he loves it. So, you know, he kept up with me. I kept up with him. And then after I graduated, I was in the process of coming from the college game to trying to find a professional club. And he presented the opportunity to just be a trainer, to just, you know, do some, do some coaching. I knew, I knew I was always going to coach, you know, it's in the blood. I never wanted to do anything else, quite honestly. So when he gave me the opportunity to do that, it was uh, very appealing for me. And about two weeks in, I just fell in love with the aspect of technical training. In terms of me as a player, I always did individual training outside of, of club time, just in order to just to sharpen tools that, that aren't as sharp. And so I really, really believe in it. And I think it's come to light within the last few years. There's a lot of people out there doing the individual training, private training sessions. So it's good. And I, after about, I think it was six to eight months in, I just, I just said, Brent, I want more. I want a title. What can I do? And, you know, we had a good conversation and the rest is history. So it's been, it's been very good and it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint, you know, so we're, we're doing very good, but we have very ambitious goals to grow, grow this thing very large. And, and that's the goal. It doesn't hurt when you're working with good people, right? I mean, and Brent's good people, correct? Absolutely. One of the best. Yeah. It's awesome. We're here with Tyler Gabera, who I mentioned is still playing. He actually played a couple of years in USL championship. Now he finds himself out in San Diego. I love it out there. I used to live in Orange County with the 94 World Cup team. So tell us about uh, who you're playing with out in San Diego, Tyler. Yeah, so I'm currently uh, playing in Nisa, and then I am playing with Albion San Diego. Just enjoying the West Coast, you know, I'm, I'm an East Coast guy, so to get out to the West Coast and just experience something different was was very appealing for me, get out of the comfort zone, and it's been a, an unbelievable experience. It's it's beautiful out here, have no complaints. That's awesome, and that gives Pelota the chance to, you know, be on both coasts as well as we're talking to Tyler Gabera, the co-owner and director of player development at Pelota Training and still living his dream as a player and then applying it with that technical training that is really, really successful. It works at Pelota. What's their website, by the way? Do they have a website? Yeah, we have a website. It's just uh, www.pelotatraining.com. All right. If you've listened to my interviews with the other ones, although this one's a little bit more surreal for me for all of the reasons I stated earlier, I do ask about memories and mentors. So what's your greatest memory as a soccer player, Tyler Gabera? And this can be youth, high school, NC State, pro, your greatest memory as a soccer player. Wow. That that it might be one of the hardest questions I've ever been asked. I have a lot. The one that the one that sticks out to me the most is is beating UNC Chapel Hill at home when they were ranked number one in the country. 
Um, yeah, I called was, that game, by the way. Yes, you did. <laughs> I, I remember. So that that just to have, I think it was almost 7,000 people there for a college game. What, it, just to see Dale Soccer Stadium completely packed to mass capacity and students storming the field after the game, everyone celebrate. It was, I, I'd have to put that at the top of my list. All right. The other M, Tyler, is mentors. And I feel like we've talked about a couple already in your mom and dad and Brent Boone. Who are we missing? Who are some other mentors in your life that have played a key role into your desire to be a coach? Those are the three main ones. Um, I've had a lot of conversations with other people, but in terms of the longevity of it, I, you know, to have two parents that, that know the in and outs of the game has pros and cons, of course, but um, way, way more pros and cons. Those two. And then as of recently, it's been Brent in terms of just being business partners with him. And in college, I never would have pictured myself owning, owning a small business. But now that I do, I absolutely love it. And I'm just, just trying to take in every, every little piece of information I can get from him as, you know, he's been doing this a lot longer than I have. So just to get tons of information and to, to learn something new that I, I don't know. Yeah. You know, really any way you slice it, knowing what your goals are, and I'm going to ask the crystal ball question about 15 years down the road. So you can be thinking about that, but right now you've already said, you know, you want to coach. I love the fact that you're still playing. Cause I say, as I already said, keep playing as long as you can play, but by being an owner already, if you become a college coach or a pro coach, you know, as well as anybody, it's more than just going out there and telling guys what to do. You got to be able to do the stuff behind the scenes and you're doing that now. Correct. In terms of, of player management, I've, I've had a, f- a few years of experience with that. Um, you know, right now I'm, I'm the captain for, for our team and that, that holds a, a lot of responsibility in terms of managing the other guys on the, on the field and managing the team as a whole. So I think in terms of the overall aspect of coaching, I, I'm trying to learn every little piece, but right now for me, I can do the player management piece while still playing. And then on the business side, I manage all of our trainers, I manage our scheduling, so I'm, and I manage all the parents. So I'm, I'm in constant contact with everyone. And, and it's, it's just, it's very, it's very intriguing to have conversations with different coaches to see where they come from and, and their philosophies and how they want to do things because everyone's different. So, but yeah, it's been, it's been very good, very good so far. As you're aware, in 2026, the World Cup is coming back to North America. Most of the games will be played in United States. I'm happy to tell you that my entire life was shaped by the 1994 World Cup, including my wife of 28 years. Have you thought about what that means to you with the World Cup coming to the United States and North America, Mexico and Canada? I think it's I think it's absolutely huge for for American soccer. I think this this past World Cup was just amazing to watch and see so many people actually into the World Cup as a whole, not just America, but watching other games, watching other countries and see how other countries are doing better than we are. But I think in terms of American soccer, I think it's 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 going to be something amazing to see. And the way the game has grown in the past four to six years has just been unbelievable and I'm very very excited to see where it goes because I genuinely believe it's on an uphill trajectory and it's not going to go down anytime soon. Tyler Gabera, 30 under 30 member and I'm guessing you like me watched the Mexico game and the Canada game. I was blown away. Look it wasn't the World Cup but and it wasn't like the Mexico team that we know but Canada's really good. 
we're good. I mean, the USA is good. Obviously, we've had a little bit of controversy with the coaching thing. That's figured out now, I guess. I don't know. It's still kind of weird. But, I mean, yeah. it's an exciting time right now in this country, is it not? It absolutely is. I, I, I think this is maybe one of the first times in my life, absolutely in my lifetime, that I feel like soccer, soccer is, is the top sport right now in, in all of America. And I'm pretty, it might be a bold statement, but I'm, I'm pretty confident in, in where, where American soccer is going to go. And I'm, I'm genuinely very excited for 2026. And I'm glad you got to peek in even from long distance at the TST, which was in your old backyard. I mean, a stone's throw from NC state. I called 14 of the 60 plus games and it was amazing. The TST. And I thought that was another great event that, is only going to get bigger and bigger as well, don't you think? I was very, very intrigued by just something different, you know, smaller field, 7v7. I forget the name of the, the overtime target period. Score. The yeah. target score. That to me was was just, it ends with a golden goal every game. <laughs> I think that's so, it just adds such a different dynamic to the game. And I thought that was awesome. So I will definitely be tuning into to the future ones. And when I retire from playing professionally, you'll see me out there. That's for sure. Oh, I love it. I love it. All right. So thinking about a lot of great things happening right now in American soccer, knowing that you're still playing, but obviously you're doing this technical training, you know, look, there's all kinds of avenues. The youth game is massive. There's a lot of great entities at the youth game. There's a lot of choices. The college game is still a very important part. You went through it at NC State. The pro game's never been bigger, not just at Major League Soccer, but USL, where you're playing as well. Do you have an idea where you would like to coach, you know, at what level when, you know, 10, 15 years from now, Tyler, do you have anything in mind? I got a few things in mind. Growing up, it was, it always, it was always college soccer. Now that I've been in the pro game for a few years, that also interests me a little bit. I think right now I would put college soccer at the top professional as as the close second but I want to I want to dip my feet in, in in a bunch of different areas so I wouldn't be surprised if I'm in the club game at some point so just to experience different things I, I played club ball obviously as a kid growing up so just to see how it's changed and even from from a distance now watching MLS next games and and some of these kids the way that they get treated. It, it's, it's, it's just awesome to see the exposure for some of these young kids. I wish that it was like that back when I was playing club soccer. So it's, it's awesome to see. Speaking of exposure, it's a big honor to be a part of this 30 under 30 class. I feel like I've interviewed so many incredible people that have gone on to do so many great things that are now head coaches at big time college universities. They're coaching in the pro game. Can you put into words what it means to be a member of the United soccer coaches, 30 under 30 class, Tyler? It's an unreal honor, to be honest. Um, you know, when I applied, I was I was reluctant to apply because I wasn't sure what it entailed. But, you know, Brent convinced me to to apply anyway. And I wasn't really aware of the program until Brent mentioned something. And obviously I did my research and it looked very interesting. So, you know, I clicked the apply button, put in put in my my uh, my application. And I was absolutely ecstatic when I got the email that I was part of the 30 under 30 class. So very excited and uh, just very excited to see what the future holds. For me, I think one of the things that makes soccer great in this country is what United Soccer Coaches is all about. It's about sharing. It's about networking. It's about being a family. Have you felt that in your short time with the 30 under 30 class? 
Absolutely. I've made so many, so many good connections just within our 30 under 30 class. It's been an unreal experience and it's crazy to think that we're already halfway through the year. You know, I wish I could go back to the convention and have these few months again, just because they've flown by. Yeah. Just to talk to other, other members in the class and hear their stories and where they came from and where they're at now and just picking each other's brains because everyone's different. Everyone comes from a different story. So it's, it's just very, very interesting to hear a lot of the different stories. You know, it's interesting. You talk about different stories. I find Brent Boone's story amazing. Like, cause he's like a financial guy who all he wants to do is coach soccer. And that's really all he wants to do. And he's starting to make that happen. Right. I don't know if he's still dabbling in the financial stuff, but this is where he wants to live. Isn't that cool? Even somebody like my age that, you know, wants to dig in and be a part of it. Yeah, no, he's he's done he's done really well in terms of, of the soccer game. Yeah, he's still got the day job. Okay. But if he's not doing that, he's doing some sort of soccer. And <laughs> he he just he just loves it. And he's the quote unquote the definition of a soccer junkie. He loves it. So just to to feel his passion for the game is very contagious to just feel, feel his energy and passion for the game. And it just relays on everyone else, especially me. So it's, it's been good. And he's just, he's a great human being. Just a couple more with Tyler Gabera, really enjoying this interview and knowing your ties to your mom and dad. I would like to know, like, where do the Gaberas go to get away from soccer? Where's their go-to place? There's gotta be somewhere where you guys go to say, I'm getting away from soccer. We're not going to think about soccer at all. Is there that place? Yeah, that happens for about a week out of the year. And I would say that's Thanksgiving. We go down, we have a house down in the Outer Banks and we uh, go down there for the week of Thanksgiving, hang out with family. Yeah, you quote unquote get away, but you <laughs> you out of anybody knows that you're, you never get away from it. So we we try to limit the soccer conversations as much as we can, but they're always there. They're so always there. Yeah. Okay. So my wife's family has a place in Southern Shores. Where are you in the Outer Banks? We're in Nags Head. Okay. So you go a little deeper. Nice. Okay. Very good. All right. Awesome. I, I enjoy the Outer Banks for sure as we're here right. with Tyler Gabera. All right, Tyler, final thoughts on United Soccer Coaches 30 under 30 and your exciting future laying ahead. It's an honor to to be in 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 this 30 under 30 class as as one of the younger ones, I believe. Um, there's a few a few younger than me, but just to to get this honor this early in my coaching career makes me that much more hungry to continue to grow and develop as a coach and as well as a player. Um, I think it's it's very important to have good quality coaches in this country, and there there are a lot of them, but they're the coaches really are the backbone of American soccer. And I think to be a part of that is, is something special. And I just look forward to, to continuing down the path and, and growing as a coach in person. All right, my man, I remember telling you the first time I met you, what an honor it was to be able to call your games, especially that game that you brought up as your best memory. You've always been very good to me. Your entire family has. So I was excited to do this interview. I'm really, really proud of you, Tyler. And I want to end by just saying, is there a way people can track your progress? Are you on social media at all, Tyler, where people can can follow you? Can you take yourself real quick? Mostly Instagram. I'm on Twitter a little bit, but um, yeah, just at Ty Gabara, G-A-B-A-R-R-A. That's where you all can right, find awesome. me. Perfect. Tyler Gabara, this was awesome. Great to be with you. Give your family my best. Give Brent my best. Make sure you check out their work at Pelota Training as well. That's spelled P-E-L-O-T-A. They are legit. So is Tyler Gabera. Tyler, all my best. 
Thank you, Dean. I really appreciate your time. It was my pleasure. I want to thank all of our amazing guests and all the great people at United Soccer Coaches like Bailey Conklin, like Michael Kadama, like Sarah Wilbur, like Sarah Mason, like Brandon Milburn, Erica Dyer, Steve Beal, Jeff Van Dusen, Angie Eliason, Pat Madden, Rusty Kugler, Shelby, Beth Sullivan, Etta. You know who you are. All of you are great. I also want to thank our producer, Colin Thrash, for each and every one of them. And all of you, I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by League Apps. Thanks for listening to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. To learn more about League Apps, find them at leagueapps.com or as League Apps on all of the social networks. And to learn more about United Soccer Coaches, visit us at unitedsoccercoaches.org.